2: Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseHeadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows alongside Andrew Mertig, and we are back for another Friday edition of the podcast.
3: Andrew, it is really good to be back. Yeah, I'm excited to be back, and I took a re-listen of our episode from last week, and there was something really insightful that you said. You said some people call this the off-season, and and I, I was thinking about that a lot as we were getting ready for this show, and it it isn't the off-season, it's just a different type of the season, and, and draft season is really starting to heat up, and we have free agency right around the corner, I think it's less than a month officially today. And uh, I'm really excited to jump into some more evaluation this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I would have a hard time.
2: I mean, obviously, we love the regular season, and I would never, never, never miss watching Packers football during the regular season. But, man, if you had to make me choose between the the offseason and the regular season it would be a harder decision than I think a lot of people um, maybe would have with that with me I just love it so uh, draft season is here uh, the scouting combine is this weekend uh, things get kicked off sunday in Indianapolis and so we want to spend some time looking at some of these prospects especially the ones that are going to be at the top of their position groups in this year's class we started this process last week with the offense and so if you missed last Friday's show go back and check That one out, Uh, but this week we're turning our attention to the defensive prospects again. With this pros, uh, with this project, our goal is to give a general flyover of the big names at every position. These are the guys that will most likely be first round or second round picks. Many of these names they could be in play for the Green Bay Packers, but at a minimum, they're going to be guys that will determine how the board falls for the Packers as other teams pick them up in the first round and throughout the draft. And in 2019, we saw a lot of improvement um, from the defense, and that's where we're gonna spend our time today, looking at this defense, uh, checking out the roster, seeing where we can make some improvements. And Brian Gutekinds was all but able to solve the roster holes at edge and safety, Uh, but there are still places where this team needs to add talent to the defense. And so we're excited to jump into this conversation and see what this 2020 class uh, might have to offer the
3: Packers. And I think it makes sense to start our defensive evaluation with a defensive line. The Packers are certainly going to need help up front to help stabilize a defense that was pretty shaky against the run at times during the season and really lacked a lot of impact in the passing game. This is maybe the position that is of the greatest need that fans aren't thinking of actively, right? Like we we concentrate a lot on wide receiver and off-ball linebacker and, and other needs, but defensive line sort of is the forgotten one. So Kyle's going to take a look at the players who could help take some pressure off of Kenny Clark and possibly even give him a rest from time to time, which uh, I would be in favor of, maybe a little bit less Kenny Clark on the field so he's fresher by the end of the season.
2: Yeah, we're all assuming that Kenny Clark gets that extension done this offseason, and giving Clark some help could be huge for this defense, as Andrew said, and we really have been privileged to have a healthy Kenny Clark. I mean, it's been really phenomenal the amount of time he has spent on the field. That's both good and bad, but man, I don't think we want to think about any kind of a scenario where he does need to miss any time, and so I think that's a big part of this, finding guys that could come in um, and provide you know serviceable replacement-level play uh, for Kenny Clark and filling that through the draft could be really valuable. So uh, right away, if we're going to get into these prospects for 2020, we've got to talk about Derrick Brown and Javon Kinlaw because these are the guys at the top. Uh, Derrick Brown is from Auburn, of course, 6'5", 3'15". Very few people are talking about Uh, The defensive line group in general in this draft, but there are really some studs at the top here. And Derrick Brown might be one of the most talented guys in the entire draft. Like I said, he's 6'5", 315, and he just absolutely dominated uh, in his time at Auburn. He's super explosive and can really line up all over the defensive front. And he's a really versatile player for that reason. He always plays with a hot motor, and he gives you impact play both against the run and the pass. And if we're being realistic, he'll be highly coveted, really in the top five picks or so. And so kind of expecting him to go early and often. We, we, we heard, heard that the Lions are moving on from Snacks Harrison uh, just really before we started recording this podcast. And so with the Lions picking three, uh, you get a lot of cornerback really being... Uh, You know, mock to them there, but I think Derek Brown becomes a very real possibility for them, especially if they're shaking up that defensive line. Uh, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina is another guy. Uh, He saw his stock continue to rise while he was at the Senior Bowl, and he's another great prospect who teams are just going to fall in love with throughout the process. He's super explosive and strong, and he's got really a a great candidacy to be a guy that you want to play the three-tech or the five-tech. Uh, I don't think he's going to test as good as Derrick Brown. I think he's a little bit more stiff than Brown is, but he's going to test well in the areas that he needs to test well in. And he'll be high on teams board who are looking for that penetrating defensive tackle. So Kinlaw and Brown are really your first round guys. They're going to be first round greats for just about every team. But then after them, there's kind of a big drop off. And that's not to say that there isn't talent out there. It's just that there are kind of a bunch of prospects that are clustered together that could go anywhere from twenty five to seventy five in the draft. And a lot of that is going to hinge on their combine performances that they have coming up. So especially as Packers fans, I would say, keep your guys, uh, keep your eyes open rather <laughs> for guys like uh, Oklahoma's, Uh, Neville Gallimore, TCU's Ross Blacklock, Bama's Raquan Davis, Auburn's Marlon Davidson, and Missouri's Jordan Elliott as guys who have a ton to gain at this week's Combine in Indy. The other name that I said we should watch this guy just because of the connection is Justin Matabuke. I think I'm maybe getting that right, but I'm probably not. But he's a guy from Texas A&M. Uh, he's a raw player who needs to be more consistent for sure, but has a lot of ability and plays with great leverage and knows how to reduce his surface area to get into the backfield. Um, pretty explosive player. The Packers like taking defensive linemen from Texas A&M. Of course, they took Kingsley Kiki in last year's fifth round, and so they'll have that connection as, as well. And then, if you want to, you can go all the way back to 2006 uh, when the Packers took Johnny Jolly from A&M as well. So uh, keep your eyes on all these guys as uh, really we learn a lot about them in this coming week at the combine and Andrew and I will definitely be circling back to some of these names as we learn a little bit more about them and how they may fit the Packers
3: yeah and and a couple of things that that stuck out to me what you were talking about Derek Brown is just so good uh he hasn't been getting as much buzz as those other top five to seven guys maybe because he's a defensive lineman he's he's not like the typical sexy defensive lineman where he's going to be shooting off the edge but as an inside penetrator and disruptor he's amazing and speaking of his athleticism I I wish I would have written this down I can't remember if it was Joe Burrow or Tua's tape that I was watching against Auburn and one of them either mishandled a snap or they fumbled and all of a sudden this guy from Auburn number five comes scoops the (laughs) ball up and he shoots out like You would have thought he was a safety, but he was way too big to be a safety. And he's running down the field and outrunning offensive skill players. And they finally bring him down at like the two or something. It was it was a massive fumble return. And it's Derek Brown out there just being an amazing athlete. And you're saying he's at like 315. He probably played right maybe a little bit heavier than that. Super freaky athleticism. And and yeah, I mean Detroit could be a possibility. Some team's gonna get a heck of a player with Derrick Brown. The other person that really stuck out to me is Neville Gallimore. There were some uh, whispers going around the draft community that they're thinking he could run a sub 4840 at around 300 pounds and that would be pretty <laughs> incredible Unbelievable. And dudes with those kind of movement skills at that size don't come around very often reminds me a little bit you know kenny clark's bigger than that but you, he came into the combine and people were like whoa for a big dude he moves really well um and it's not all about the 40 of course you got to see how these guys are um, from an agility and acceleration standpoint as well but Um, somebody that I'm, I'm going to keep my eye on as well in Gallimore. So I get challenged with talking about edge. Uh, I don't think anybody wants the Packers to draft an edge player (laughs) because uh, they have three pretty good ones or, you know, two really, really good ones. And one we are, we are hoping um, is going to turn out really good and we'll see what happens with Kyler Fackrell as well. But certainly with that first round pick, nobody wants the Packers to take an edge player at this point, but you know, You shoot right up to the top of the draft. You have Chase Young out of Ohio State. He is simply an incredible player. Not only is he an elite-level athlete, like top-notch. He's going to test out of the building. But he combines that with some pass rush moves that are developed well beyond his years. I actually think he's a better prospect than either of the Bosa brothers and is an absolute slam-dunk selection at number two for Washington. So hopefully they don't screw that up. Yeah. because what my greatest fear in this draft, honestly, Kyle, is that some team falls in love with Tua, gets good medicals, and then throws a trade offer out to Washington that they they feel like they can't turn down, and then Chase Young slips to three to Detroit. That that is my nightmare scenario. Yeah, that is, that, nightmare yeah. Yeah, that uh, is a nightmare so, scenario. So, I would much rather him play in Washington, even though they already have a fantastic defensive line and not have to see him two times a year. But, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the next edge rusher to take a look at is Clavon Chasen from LSU. He is also an incredible athlete. He's strong. He's fast. He's really great bend for a pass rusher. If you guys are playing draft card bingo at home, I mentioned bend. We'll see. We'll see what other uh, draft terms we we get to later. Uh, he's not as polished as Young is with his pass rushing moves, so he's likely early in his career going to have to out athlete tackles uh, until he can develop those. But he has an incredibly high ceiling. The next guy is AJ Epenesa from Iowa. He is a huge, powerful pass rusher. Uh, he's got great size and length. He does a really great job at pressing tackles and then overpowering them. As a result, he's going to be really good at defending the run early in his career, which I think is going to get him on the field right away. And he's going to need to develop the pass rush moves further because he's never going to have the kind of bend of a guy like Chasen. So for me, like... This is a little bit of that Rashawn Gary versus Brian Burns debate with Chasen and Epinesa. AJ is not the athlete Rashawn is, but teams who value the big, powerful edges, such as the Green Bay Packers, would probably rank Epinesa higher than they would Chasen. So so people are going to love Chasen. I just don't. you, You know, there's teams that. He fits the profile of their edge rusher, and it's really going to be a, a scheme fit. Uh, the last guy that I want to talk about at edge is Zach Bond of Wisconsin, and he was labeled as a guy who has great technique and instincts early in the draft process. There's that Wisconsin stigma for you, but, but there were a lot of doubts about his athleticism, and many of those have started to dissipate lately. His combine results are going to be some of the most interesting to watch out of any of the players. So if he times well and he shows the strength I think he possesses, he's definitely going to shoot into the last or the late first round conversation. There are certainly some people who view Bond as an off ball linebacker. So it's also going to be interesting to watch him and how he does in those coverage drills. Um, so like some intriguing prospects, I don't think really any of those four should be targets of green Bay, but you never know uh, with, with how teams view Bond um, or if one of those, first three fell. Obviously, that's something you have to take a look at. But um, I don't think Green Bay is going to be in the market for edge early on in this draft.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think hopefully we all you know are looking forward to Green Bay passing on edge because we're pretty set there. It's a pretty good room at this point. You mentioned Bond. and I, I saw that you were going to mention Bond in with the edge guys, which eliminated him from my linebacker conversation that we're just about to jump into. And so many people are starting to talk about Bonn as an off-ball backer, as you mentioned. And I think the most interesting thing is that Bonn mentions himself as an off-ball linebacker. He's basically said that he thinks that his best position in the NFL is going to be off-ball backer. And so I think that's maybe one of the biggest storylines, maybe for Packer fans, but just NFL you know, people watching the, the combine this coming week. How does he test? Because if you view him as an off-ball backer and he's athletic, maybe we have another guy. You mentioned, you know, late first round is something that could be possible for him in general. Maybe that conversation gets really interesting when we start mixing him into the off-ball backers and um, what he could add to a defense. So I'm excited to watch Zach Bond next week and see if he's a guy that may intrigue the Packers. Um, we got to talk about some other linebackers, though. Um, but yeah,
3: before we get there... I'm I- I, I just wanted to throw one thing. I, I always interrupt you at least twice <laughs> during the show, so this will be this this will number one, uh, number one. Vaughn, Bond, Bond could play off ball linebacker, and and I think you know, knowing Jim Leonard's scheme at Wisconsin, he's very demanding of his edge players. He they they do certainly move forward towards towards the quarterback, um, plenty, but they have a lot of responsibilities and coverage and dropping Um, teams that run a lot of, like, spread and quick screens and stuff. Bond gets put in space quite often, and he's very comfortable with that, and he's good, but there's always a concern for me. To go to, like, an NBA draft comparison, there's guys that are versatile, and then there's guys that are tweeners. And you don't want to be a tweener, right? Like you don't want to be a guy that you're not sure if you're small forward and power forward. And the NBA is changing, and and so they don't worry as much about positions anymore. But it's the same thing in the NFL. Hassan Reddick, we were talking about him before we jumped on to record. And there's a guy, they keep moving him around in Arizona, and he's never gotten comfortable at a position. And so he's a guy who is a tremendous athlete, by all accounts, a really good football player. Uh, smart, instinctive, things we loved about him in the draft. And he's never been a contributor in the NFL, at least not thus far, because he hasn't found a position to play. And uh, being versatile is good. uh, And you're going to be talking about some versatile dudes in in a minute. But I think also you need to be comfortable enough to stick to one position.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is really, really interesting because we are about to jump into some, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Isaiah Simmons is a guy that everybody's yeah. talking about, top 10 kind of player, incredibly talented, obviously. But when we were talking about Hassan Redick a couple of years ago, the conversation was, where do you play him? And everybody just said, just draft him and let him play defense, right? The conversation around Isaiah Simmons is just look, draft him, let him play defense. Now, I, I think Isaiah Simmons, obviously coming from Clemson, comes from a program you worry a little bit less about getting acclimated to the NFL. I think, you know, Hassan Reddick coming from Temple, you don't know what kind of uh, factor that played in his, his development and those kinds of things. But I do think that there is something to that tweener conversation and making sure you know what kind of a player you're getting and um, you want them to be good at the thing that you're asking them to do.
3: Yeah, and the Chicago Bears uh, a, a while ago drafted a safety by the name of Brian Erlocker, and they just plugged <laughs> him at middle linebacker and let him play there. And, and that, you know, they let him do all sorts of different things, right? He was dropping deep in cover, two. He was... Uh, you know, he, he was dominating the middle field. He was coming forward and run. He was blitzing. He was doing all those things. And I think that's where you let the guy be a football player. You don't pigeonhole him and say you're going to be in pass coverage or you're you're going to be our spy on every play. But I think from a positional standpoint, it is incredibly hard to play any position on defense in the NFL, much less learn two or three positions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's why Zach Bond and his combine becomes
2: even more interesting because he said most players, most players try to play the positions that get you paid more. And so it's interesting that he would flop from edge to say, no, I'd rather play off ball. Uh, because we know that that's not where the money is in the NFL. Uh, But it will be really interesting to see how he tests, because there's so much emphasis on watch the film, you know, watch the tape. How do these guys play on the field? And so when a guy wants to play out of position where he hasn't played the majority of his snaps, it's a little bit more interesting when you start talking about projections and those kinds of things, because, what you get is combine testing and what you kind of project. And so it will be interesting, especially uh, with Zach Bond to see how that develops. So lots to watch there. Um, Let's talk about some other linebackers. There are so many guys to really like in the middle rounds of this draft Uh, prospects like Ohio state's Malik Harrison, uh, Appalachian state's Akeem Davis Gaither is basically Twitter's favorite guy at this point. Uh, Troy Dye from Oregon, uh, Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech. These are all guys that have generated some buzz as guys who are expected to go a little later in this draft. But if we are talking about the top, as we're kind of doing this whole podcast, these are the top guys. There's really only three names that probably push that first round conversation. And we were just talking about Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. And I mean, he is a special, special player. Um, You never say never, but Simmons is going to go top 10, top 15 for a really good reason. Uh, He's kind of that perfect linebacker for the modern NFL. Uh, He's a superb athlete who is more than competent playing the run. And having that 6'4 wingspan is really helpful for him in freeing himself up from blocks uh, to go make plays in that running game. But what makes him so special is his ability to turn and to run with just about anyone in pass coverage He's basically able to flip a switch somehow and just kind of becomes a safety who can play in the slot or run with running backs or tight ends. And so uh, that ability to stay on the field with that kind of coverage ability makes him an elite prospect in especially today's league, the way things are, play- things are played. Uh, he'll be great for whoever drafts him. He'd be great for the Green Bay Packers and what they need. Uh, but unfortunately, he's probably not even within range of a trade-up, if we're being honest here. So um, there's talk that Simmons could break the record for the fastest 40 run by a linebacker at the Combine, which I believe is currently at 4.38, set by Shaquem Griffin. So that'll be something to watch as well, see if uh, Simmons is able to touch that record there. Uh, There are really two other guys that I think these are the guys that we talk about for the Packers, and that's Kenneth Murray uh, from Oklahoma. He is 6'2, 235, and Murray's a special prospect because of his sideline to sideline speed and his aggressive and powerful play style. He's also really explosive as an athlete. And what you love about Murray for the Packers is that sideline to sideline speed. That is absolutely what would be huge for the Packers to add to this defense. Murray is definitely still developing as a player and needs to be a little bit more consistent and play a little bit more under control. Sometimes he arrives in a hurry, but then he doesn't always have a plan and kind of can over-pursue or even run right past the play. There's sometimes you see that on tape, but he also has room uh, to improve in his mental processing and his decision-making as he reacts to what's happening in front of him. Uh, But what you really, really love about Murray is that he's gotten better every single year at Oklahoma and he's a max effort player and it feels like he's gonna just keep getting better it's kind of his trajectory so um, if there are three words that I would use to summarize Murray I would use power speed and explosive to describe him and those are all things that would be absolutely huge for this Green Bay Packers uh, defense to add into the mix um, we got one more guy to talk about here, and he's kind of a fan favorite as well, and that's Patrick Queen from LSU. He's 6'1", he's 230, and Queen has, hes like I said, he's been the favorite amongst Packers Twitter. And what's so interesting about Patrick Queen is, is that he declared earlier than a lot of people would have expected, and he lacks a little bit of that experience that you would ideally want from a player. But I think he kind of figured that he put enough on tape to get teams excited, and he won a national championship, so he didn't really feel like he probably had a lot to go back to school for, except for that experience, and maybe add a little weight to his frame. And so, uh, while there's definitely some rawness to Queen and his game, the dude, he doesn't turn 21 years old until August. He's 20 years old right now, which is totally insane. And so um, I threw out the words power, speed, and explosive uh, for Kenneth Murray. So I would use the words fluid, instinctive, and smart. Uh, to describe Queen. He's he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not the strongest guy, uh, but he uses his instincts to arrive quickly during the play. Uh, he uses his athleticism to slip past those blockers, and he's smart enough to direct traffic and see what's coming. And so there are really valuable traits that would seem to only get better with experience with Queen. That's what you would expect. I would say that you'd like to see Queen tackle a little bit better and more effectively sometimes Uh, sometimes he kind of comes at guys around the shoulder pads and his form's a little bit off with his tackling but uh, he's not the punisher that Murray is for sure but his upside and coverage is much better than Murray Uh, the other thing that you have to love about Queen is that he made some of his biggest plays under the biggest lights. He had monster games against both Alabama and then against Clemson in the national championship game. And so you like that he has that big game mentality and he shines in those moments. And so as much as Murray and queen are often ranked really, really closely together, they're very, very different players with very different skill sets. And honestly, the Packers could use both of those guys. So if there was a way that they could get them both, that would be awesome. Uh, But it will be interesting to see if given the choice,
3: which guy the Packers, would prefer between Queen and Murray, and I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I am not a fan of drafting off-ball linebackers early. <laughs> um, and and obviously, there's always exceptions to the rule, right? Like Luke Keekley just retired. He was he was a very high draft pick, and had a phenomenal career. was was probably the best. <laughs> off-ball linebacker for a, a significant portion of his career in the NFL. But then, I mean, you look at some of the other top guys in the league, you have C.J. Mosley and Leighton Van Esch, who are both first-round picks. But then after that, um, you know, you, you got guys like Deion Jones, Bobby Wagner, Darius Leonard, um, even, you know— at, I know people don't give Blake Martinez credit for being a top linebacker in the league, but he's going to get paid like one, not by the Packers. I don't think, but you know, he wasn't a first round pick. And so you can get really quality off ball linebackers at other places in the draft and I think sometimes you you have to sacrifice a premium position to take one of those players high now would I love to have like one of these like super freaky great athletes running around the middle of that defense yeah absolutely um, but I think there's a lot of inherent risk with that because if you look at the bust rate for off-ball linebackers that are drafted early it's a lot higher um, than some other positions and so it, it always it always uh, gives me a little bit of caution because it takes those guys a long time to learn their position.
2: Yeah, I absolutely. You know, it's really interesting to see how this linebacker position gets drafted and how they play over the course of their career. And there's something that I would love to to know the answer to, and I have not done the research. So if anybody out there, any of the listeners, wants to do this research and let us know, I would love to go back through past draft profiles and look to see if processing and play recognition. Um, Shows up as a red flag on any of the players that end up having really dynamic careers at linebacker because I don't. It seems like there's a high correlation between uh, a player's ability to process and anticipate, and I don't know that we have a really good way of measuring that um, as as a correlation for success. Um, and that is a big concern with Kenneth Murray right now. He's obviously this big explosive player. Uh, but they're not sure how quickly he processes what's in, happening in front of them. And so I would love to see the history there to see um, what the correlation is in prospects. So if anybody smarter than us, with more time than us, wants to do that study, uh, make sure you reach out on Twitter and let us know what you found. But uh, definitely it's going to be really interesting to see how the Packers go about solving their issues at linebacker this offseason. But
3: I think we're ready to maybe jump into safety here, Andrew. Yeah, I'm going to talk about safeties a little bit. and um, There's really two safeties that are kind of on the top of everybody's draft boards, um, and I think it's going to end up being very similar for me, though I haven't gotten through everybody in the position yet, so maybe there's a surprise uh, lower down the list than, than I anticipate that I'll like. But one of them is Grant Delpit from LSU, and he lines up in man coverage and definitely looks comfortable in his backpedal, and he can click and close. For those playing bingo at home, click and close. Check. <laughs> uh, cover. He, he'll cover wide receivers. He'll and then obviously also tight ends and running backs. He reads and reacts well in the passing game. He's got really great deep range in zone. He's fluid. Uh, he's gonna take some bad angles in the running game. He's kind of a solid form tackle tackler but he doesn't make a ton of hits and I think he can actually shy away from contact at times this got a little bit better in 2019 than 18 but tackling is definitely the biggest red flag in Delpit's game he assesses and reacts to plays very well I I love his versatility because I think you can line him up a little bit at slot corner um he's super comfortable in in Coverage And so um, he's going to be an attractive guy for some teams. They just really are going to have to get over his lack of tackling. Uh, <laughs> and he's going to have to clean that up pretty quickly to, to survive, um, whether he's playing safety or more of a hybrid role. Um, he's got maybe maybe a little bit of Darnell Savage comps, but. Um, you know, for, from a Packers standpoint, if they were to take a guy like Delpit, you would think that there would be some versatility in where they could play uh, those two interchangeably. The the guy that a lot of people have ranked number one, um, and I'm a little bit closer on these two, uh, is Xavier McKinney from Alabama. He, he played in a lot of different areas for Bama. He can drop down and play near the line of scrimmage. He's a, he's a really good tackler. Uh, he initiates contact and he can provide some big hits. He does lack true speed to be really effective in deep zone and you'll watch he'll run a much better time than i'm anticipating because he's at alabama he's probably a great athlete but he he looks a little slow there in the deeper zones but he has good instincts he plays the ball really well uh he played in the slot in college a little bit though i think in the pros he's a better coverage player against just strictly tight ends and running backs and i i would not want him Lining up against slot receivers. Uh, some of the other safeties that you'll see, um, Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota, Kyle Duggar from Lenore Rhine. It's our first Lenore Ryan mention <laughs> of this draft <laughs> season. Uh, and Ashton Davis from Cal. And I, I'm not going to talk a lot about those players individually because safeties are a lot about preference. So it's really hard to gauge where players may go. If San Francisco were to lose, let's say Jimmy Warden, free agency, it would not surprise me to see a guy like Ashton Davis go at the end of the first round, even though I don't have him graded there, because he possesses a similar skill set. And so it's all about team preference, as I stated. That that doesn't mean he's better than another safety. Um it's just a position with a lot of specificity to a team scheme. One other player I wanted to mention, Kyle, because we got a special request this week, uh, (laughs) is Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. So at Monsmoy1, I think that's, that's right. It's Monsmoy1, yeah. Uh, on Twitter recommended I check out Chin. And some initial thoughts that I had, he's an impressive athlete. His greatest strength is going to be as a tackler. He's really solid in zone coverage, going to struggle a little bit, man. And I think some teams are going to see him as a box safety or maybe even a hybrid linebacker. Um. But thanks so much for the recommendation. It was fun to watch that film because I wouldn't have gotten to him for for probably another few weeks. So if other listeners have some suggestions about draft prospects, please reach out. We're, we're always happy to take a look at new guys. I, that's fun for me.
2: Yeah, it's super fun. And actually, so it's interesting. I have not seen Jeremy Chin at all, uh, but I just moved and I lived about 15 minutes from uh, southern Illinois down there. So I will have to check out. Uh, jeremy chin and check out his tape and see what i think but uh super That's interesting
3: the yeah
2: <laughs> uh, let's get into some cornerbacks here i think the packers uh would i don't know that fans would be super excited if the packers were to spend an early pick on cornerback uh, but you never know uh what could happen and we're talking about the top so we got to start with jeff akuda uh, Ohio State's corner that's um, expected to go really high in this draft. I think we know um, that he's probably the best guy in this draft at the position. He's frequently mocked in the top ten or even top five. Uh, Joe Marino, who's been a guest with us here on the pod, has compared him to Jalen Ramsey, and so with comps like that, it is easy to say that he has some of those elite traits. And if you're gonna um, if you're gonna knock Akuda, it's probably gonna be for his tackling. Um, or maybe even some limited experience in college. But with his traits, you're going to find a lot of teams that are going to be willing to bet on his ability to become one of the best corners in the league. Uh, Christian Fulton is next up from LSU. He's a two hundred and kind of that consensus number two corner in this class behind Akuta. And Fulton has been really good for a long time, and it's almost like we kind of got bored with Fulton because nobody's talking about him. And so he gets mocked anywhere from, like, 15 to 32 in mock drafts right now, Uh, but we'll see what his combine performance does to his stock because guys that are six foot with his skills are going to be really coveted by NFL teams. Fulton excels in press man coverage and has really nice ability to click and close on the ball. He plays big. There are a lot of guys who measure at six foot, but don't always play to that size, and that is not Fulton. He never shies away from competition, um, and he definitely plays up to that size. Uh, But what you might like best about Fulton is that he rarely panics in coverage. Even in times when he is beat, he gathers himself really nicely and recovers, and there's a lot to like about Christian Fulton. But then after Fulton, I feel like there's kind of a clump of three or four guys that are kind of hard to separate right now. Um, some people like Trayvon Diggs from Alabama. He's another big cornerback prospect and is he's really a, a physical player who excels at the line in press man coverage. Other people really like Florida's C.J. Henderson or Ohio State's Damon Arnett, TCU's Jeff Gladney or A.J. Terrell or other guys that I think um, could be some guys that we see come up the board as we get through this combine, uh, but I think we'll get a little bit more clarity at the cornerback position after the combine as far as who might slip into that first round conversation and be maybe cornerback three, but right now it's definitely Akuta and Fulton leading this group. And like I said, I think most Packer fans would be pretty shocked if Green Bay went corner early. But I'd pay attention to this group at the Combine and see who fits Green Bay's athletic preferences. Because with King in the final year of his deal and Tremont's future so much up in the air, Green Bay could shock people with a selection at corner. Maybe not at 30, but especially at 62, I would say that that would definitely be a possibility.
3: Yeah. And so that, that will be an interesting one to watch as well. And, you know, corners are one of those really high value positions. And so it, you know, with, with the things that you mentioned, Kevin King, Tremont Williams, like those are serious issues down the road for the Packers. And so it wouldn't be totally surprising to see one of those corners come into Green Bay. Um, and anyways, we have gone way over time today, Kyle, uh, (laughs) We don't always do that, but we like talk and draft, and so um, this, this was another fun one. I, I love talking about the offensive prospects and the defensive prospects. I feel like I'm better prepared for the combine, and so hopefully the listeners feel the same. We're going to be doing some fun things in the coming weeks uh, next week we'll we'll certainly be talking about the combine and and uh, we're we're going to be trying to line up some pretty special guests in in the next month or two. We're also going to be taking a look at some fun things. I, I think we've thrown around the idea of doing some user mock drafts or listener mock drafts. I don't know. Why I said user. Um, and and some things that I think will be really cool. So please connect with us on social media if you get a chance um, and that. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Uh And remember to also follow at Packity Podcast if you get the chance. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. Next week we're going to be back, and we're going to continue our conversation around these prospects after we get a little bit more perspective from the first few days of the scouting combine. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Go, man, go!